This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is personal preparation. In the first half, Ben B. Banks shares his address, Prepare for Life's Journey. Then in the second half, Robert R. Stoyer speaks on Just In Case Someone Asks, I Will Be Ready. The story is told of two very elderly ladies who were enjoying the sunshine on a park bench in Miami. They had been meeting at the same park every day for more than 12 years, chatting and enjoying each other's company. One day, the younger of the two ladies turned to the other and said, Please don't be angry with me, dear. After all these years, what is your name? I'm trying to remember, but I just can't. The older friend stared at her and looking very distressed and said nothing for two full minutes. And finally, with tearful eyes, said, How soon do you have to know? (laughs) Well, I haven't reached that stage in life yet. But I must confess that when I received this assignment, I thought I've just had that opportunity. And yet when I looked at my journal, I found that two years had passed since I was last given the opportunity to speak on this great campus. Ten years ago this October, while speaking in general priesthood meeting, I shared the following experience, quote, One day my son Ben came to me and said, Dad, we're going to hold our family reunion at Flaming Gorge Recreation Area a distance of 220 miles east of Salt Lake City. Why don't you, myself, and any of the boys in our family that would like to leave a few days early ride our bikes to Flaming Gorge and meet the rest of the family there? I said, that sounds great, but we only have one motorcycle. Ben said, no, Dad, you don't understand. I mean pedal bicycles. I thought he was kidding. He said, I will outline and prepare a training schedule for us. We'll get up early Saturday mornings, and for three or four hours we'll go out and ride over the courses that I will outline so that when the time comes we will be prepared to go. I said, okay, not really knowing what I was in for. I didn't own a bicycle and knew I would have to use my daughter's old heavy 10-speed bicycle with what seemed like bent wheels and a seat that was terribly, terribly hard. I also knew that getting up early Saturday mornings was not one of my favorite things. But knowing that some of my sons wanted me to go with them, I said, okay. As the time for training and preparation came, I found all kinds of excuses not to go on the training rides. However, one Saturday morning, I did ride with them up to the top of Parley's Canyon and back. It was hard, but I thought I would be okay. Little did I know. The time came for the trip. I joined my boys the second day of the trip as I had meetings the first day. The journey the second day took us from Heber City to Roosevelt, approximately 100 miles. As we checked into the motel that evening, I called my wife at home and told her I had never hurt so badly in my whole life. Every muscle, bone, from the top of my head to my feet hurt. I implored her, when you come tomorrow with the rest of the family, please bring all the ointment and lotion you can find. She said, honey, you sound terrible. I told her, I look and feel worse than I sound. The next day, I hated to see the dawn come, knowing what it would be like to sit on that hard seat and pedal all day once again. 
in order to reach our destination, especially the stretch from Vernal to Flaming Gorge, which would include approximately 36-plus miles with grades up to 9% and 90-degree-plus temperatures. Needless to say, for me, the whole trip was a very trying and arduous task. But for my sons, who spend a lot of time waiting at the top of the hills for their slow, unprepared dad, it was exciting, fun, and rewarding. <laughs> that evening, as we arrived at our destination, I came to an easy but profound recognition of how poorly prepared I was for what should have been a great experience with my sons, but was not because I did not take the time to prepare properly. I resolved that night that I would never again be that unprepared. I went home, I bought bicycles for myself and my two youngest sons, and started training and preparing so that by the time the next summer came, my sons and I could ride our bikes to Lake Powell a distance of 300 miles, which we did. The next year we rode to St. George, and every year thereafter we rode our bikes to Lake Powell until our mission assignment some years later." End quote. With a call to serve as a mission president 12 years ago, and this subsequent call, which took my wife and me to several international assignments, the long bike rides had to be put on hold for a period of time. I did, however, take my bicycle with me wherever my assignments were, in hopes that I would be able to find time to ride occasionally in order to be prepared so if the opportunity for a long ride ever came again, I would be able to do it. That opportunity came once again this last fall, when I was given permission to take a few days away from the office. At the invitation of that same son who years ago suggested we ride to Flaming Gorge, and now joined by another son and our only daughter, we flew with our bikes to Bozeman, Montana, and proceeded to ride to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. At my age, preparation continues to be very, very important in order to survive such a ride. The prophet Amulek testified, This life is the time for men to prepare to meet God. Yea, behold, the day of this life is the day for men to perform their labors. If it is important for me to prepare for a bike ride, it is much more important for you to prepare for your future, both this life and the eternities. As I contemplate the significance of what you are doing in this great institution of learning, I think of the words of President Thomas S. Monson, Preparation for life's opportunities and responsibilities has never been more vital. We live in a changing society. Intense competition is a part of life. The role of husband, father, grandfather, provider, and protector is vastly different from what it was a generation ago. Preparation is not a matter of perhaps or maybe. It is a mandate. The old phrase, ignorance is bliss, is forever gone. Preparation precedes performance. Close quote. Did you catch the phrase, it is a mandate? The dictionary defines the word mandate as an official or an authoritative instruction or command. Let me repeat that. An official or an authoritative instruction or command. An interesting choice of words, then, from a prophet, seer, and revelator, isn't it? As we consider our preparation for life, remember that the Lord counsels us as we read in Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. 
And then in the Doctrine and Covenants, seek ye out of the best books words of wisdom, seek learning even by study and also by faith. But remember, my young friends, the more knowledge and learning we obtain and the more success we gain, the more humility we need. Recognizing that the glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth, and that light and truth forsake the evil one, we can immediately see that there are many benefits. One such benefit is that of having light and truth in our lives. You young people face an exciting and yet daunting future of ever-changing career opportunities as job markets come and go within the pressures of a global economy. Whereas once a career decision meant a job for life in a given vocation, nowadays you may have to make up to three or four major career changes during your working life. How do you begin to prepare for making such monumental decisions? How can we recognize that we are making the right career move? Suddenly the need for spiritual light in making our decisions becomes very real. Do you see the value of having the Spirit help as you plot your course through life, challenges, and decisions? The Latter-day Saint hymn, The Iron Rod, illustrates beautifully the vision of Lehi as found in the Book of Mormon. Its message for us is to hold to the rod, the iron rod, or as we know, the Word of God, and it will safely guide us on life's journey. You will recall that in that vision, Lehi saw many people in a great and spacious building mocking and pointing their fingers at those who had arrived to partake of the fruit. Some recipients of this mocking even fell away and became lost. Many in the world today would have you believe that God's word plays no part in your educational process. They scoff at your religious standards and beliefs. Some would even have you believe that you cannot reconcile your faith with your educational knowledge and that they are somehow incompatible, inappropriate, and no right-thinking man or woman would believe that sort of thing anymore. We know, however, that this is foolishness. The history of this world is replete with stories of man's disregard for his Creator, which disregard leads to his subsequent demise. By obtaining now both spiritual and educational preparation, you are acquiring for yourself and your family or future family the knowledge you will need to provide both spiritual and temporal pillars during your mortal probation here on earth. In the October 1995 General Conference, Elder Richard G. Scott said, The Lord's plan is to exalt you to live with Him and be greatly blessed. The rate at which you qualify is generally set by your capacity to mature, to grow, to love, and to give of yourself. Close quote. The Prophet Alma taught his son Helaman a great principle. He said, O oh, remember, my son, and learn wisdom in thy youth. Yea, learn in thy youth to keep the commandments of God. By keeping the commandments of God, you will have a greater understanding and enjoy many blessings, which include, one, gaining the necessary secular knowledge needed to win employment that will provide for the temporal needs of your family. Two, enjoy a greater understanding of your potential. Three, having the companionship of the Holy Ghost to influence your decisions, and four, obtaining a promise of protection from the influence of the evil one, 
and of course gaining the wisdom and knowledge needed to prepare you for the eternities. In 1971, Elder Dallin H. Shulk said at Brigham Young University, We are concerned with the teaching of fundamentals of spiritual and secular knowledge and with bringing those teachings into harmony in the lives of men and women in order to prepare them for a balanced and full life of service to God and fellow man. Close quote. He added some thoughts and goals that we need to pay special attention to in our preparation. He said, One, rigorous standards and high achievement in any field of learning are not at odds with the faith and devotion to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two, strive for excellence. Use the talents the Lord has given you. Meet and master the learning of men. Three, in approaching any field of learning, remember the Lord's direction to seek learning, even by study and also by faith. And four, cherish and nurture your spiritual life. Seek spiritual growth at the same time you are seeking to enlarge your learning in other areas. Nourish your spirit just as regularly as you nourish your body or mind. Don't neglect study of the gospel and activity in the Church during the period of your schooling. Sometimes we can be so caught up with worldly distractions, a current situation or difficulty, that we fail to realize the answers to many of life's problems are already within our reach. President David O. McKay referred to William George Jordan, who tells the story of some men in a ship which during the terrific storm was driven far out off its course and helpless and disabled was carried into a strange bay. The water supply gave out and the crew suffered the agony of thirst yet dared not drink of the salt water in which the vessel floated. In the last extremity, they lowered a bucket over the ship's side and in desperation quaffed the beverage they thought was seawater. But to their joy and amazement, the water was fresh, cool, and life-giving. They were in a freshwater arm of the sea, and they did not know it. They had simply to reach down and accept the new life and strength for which they craved. President McKay then added, The illustration is applicable to a large part of mankind today. Men and nations are drifting. They have lost their bearings. Their wisdom is baffled. Tried and true methods of the past have been discarded, and vague and indefinite theories offered as panaceas for social and economic ills. There is an inescapable necessity for a safe and experienced pilot at the will. As Latter-day Saints, we should realize that just gaining a college education is not enough to guarantee our success in a changing world. Our preparation for the future must be founded upon principles of the gospel and not on those of the world. Never in the history of this earth has a group of students had to face the turmoil and wickedness that is so pervasive today. The Apostle Paul, when he was incarcerated in the dungeons of Rome, prior to being martyred as a Christian and a follower of Christ, wrote a letter to his friend and protege Timothy wherein he described the last days or the permissive society in which we live today. Quote, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, bolsters, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, 
fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, end quote. As you continue your education, it is very important that you do not become one of those who Paul described as ever learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Isn't that a most accurate description of life on earth for many people today? President Dwight D. Eisenhower had interesting insight into the importance of spiritual and moral strength. One evening he had a few close friends at the White House in Washington, D.C. They were discussing world problems. For a long while the president listened. Then he said, My friends, the biggest, most powerful weapon in the world is not the atomic bomb or even the fighting ability of man. It is their moral and spiritual strength. Nothing can ever conquer that strength. Remember this, gentlemen, because that is the weapon our enemies really fear." End quote. We must never lose sight of the fact that this life is a probationary period, and that by combining our knowledge, both spiritual and secular, with holding to the rod, we can be the recipients of many great and wonderful blessings. The Apostle Paul taught the Corinthians that I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. How do we show the Lord that we love him? He taught us this, If ye love me, keep my commandments. Just as we need to prepare for our life, so also do we need to live our lives in such a way that we will be prepared for the next life. Elder Sterling W. Seals said in the October 1965 General Conference, We can imagine some wonderful things, but we cannot even conceive of that magnificent experience that lies beyond the borders of this life. Certainly the greatest wonders of the future will not be in the improvement of our television, our computers, or our airplanes. They will be primarily in ourselves. The greater the understanding of our own future, the more effectively we will be able to prepare for it. Brigham Young said, Prepare to die is not the exhortation of this Church, but prepare to live is the word with us, and improve all we can in the life hereafter, wherein we may, be, we may enjoy a more exalted condition of intelligence, wisdom, light, knowledge, power, glory, and exaltation. When asked the question, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? the Savior responded by saying, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. We show our Heavenly Father and our neighbors how much we love them by the way we serve them. The prophet Alma explains that baptism requires that we bear one another's burden, that we may be light, yea, and are willing to mourn with those that mourn. Yea, and comfort those that stand in need of comfort, and to stand as witnesses of God at all times. If we learn and remember that charity is the pure love of Christ, we will be able to bless the lives of all those with whom we associate. For charity does suffereth long, and is kind, and envieth not, and is not puffed up, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, and rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. 
As we prepare for our future, we need to make sure that our secular interests don't distract us from or take priority over the spiritual ones. The Lord has taught us to lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So many people have their hearts set upon the things of this world. It is as if wealth and material possessions have become gods whom they worship. Man's never-ending quest for ever more possessions and affluence has in many cases squeezed out feelings of kindness and benevolence towards the poor and the needy. Elder Delbert A. Stapley offered this counsel in the October 1967 General Conference. He whose every act has fitted him for the enjoyment of eternity will be far in advance of the man whose all has been centered on the things of this life. Latter-day Saints preparing for a successful future need to remember that selfishness must always be recognized and immediately replaced by selflessness. Elder Dallin H. Oak tells the apocryphal story of two men standing before the casket of a wealthy friend. Asked the one, How much property did he leave? Replied the other, He left all of it. Now in closing, I want to share with you the story of a man who lost his sense of priorities at an early age. President Hugh B. Brown, as a young soldier in World War I, was visiting an elderly friend in the hospital. The friend was a millionaire several times over who, at the age of 80, was lying at death's door. Neither his divorced wife nor any of his five children cared enough to come to the hospital to see him. As President Brown thought of the things his friend had lost, which money could not buy, and noted his tragic situation and the death of his misery, he asked his friend how he would change the course of his life if he had to live it over again. The old gentleman, who died a few days later, said, As I think back over the life the most important and valuable asset which I might have had but which I lost in the process of accumulating my millions was the simple faith my mother had in God and the immortality of the soul. You ask me what is the most valuable thing in life? I cannot answer you better than those used by the poet. He asked President Brown to get a little book out of his briefcase from which he read a poem entitled, I'm an Alien. I'm an alien to the faith my mother taught me. I'm a stranger to the God that heard my mother when she cried. I'm an alien to the comfort that now I lay me, brought me, to the everlasting arms that held my father when he died. When the great world came and called me, I deserted all to follow. Never noting in my blindness I had slipped my hand from his, never dreaming in my dazedness that the bubble fame is hollow, that the wealth of gold is tinsel, since I have learned it is. I have spent a lifetime seeking things I spurned when I found them. I have fought and been rewarded in many a winning cause. But I give it all, fame and fortune, and the pleasures that surround them, if I only had the faith that made my mother what she was. President Brown then stated, That was the dying testimony of a man who was born in the Church, but who had drifted far from it. 
That was a broken-hearted cry of a lonely man who could have anything money could buy, but who had lost the most important things in life in order to accumulate this world's goods. May we not follow this example. We are led by a prophet of God who gives us the direction we need in order to focus our preparation. We understand that as we strive for excellence in our secular lives, we can balance our efforts with our own spiritual quest to be more like the Master, even Jesus Christ. President Thomas S. Monson taught, Before we can successfully undertake a personal search for Jesus, we must first prepare time for Him in our lives and room for Him in our hearts. In these busy days, there are many who have time for golf, time for shopping, time for work, time for play, but no time for Christ. Lovely homes dot the land and provide rooms for eating, rooms for sleeping, playrooms, sewing rooms, television rooms, but no room for Christ. Close quote. Remember, my young friends, to cry unto God for all thy support. Yea, let all thy doings be unto the Lord, and whithersoever thou goest, let it be in the Lord. Yea, let all thy thoughts be directed unto the Lord. Yea, let the affections of thy heart be placed upon the Lord forever. Counsel with the Lord in all thy doings, and he will direct thee for good. Yea, when thou liest down at night, lie down unto the Lord, that he may watch over you in your sleep. And when you riseth in the morning, let thy heart be full of thanks unto God. As we meet today in this marvelous center of learning and study, let us realize the necessity of harnessing our secular preparation to a firm spiritual base. Let us now press forward with listening ears, ready to show charity and kindness to those we meet. Let us, as President Harold B. Lee once cautioned, avoid being in the thick of thin things. We should make sure we achieve the very best in our academic life, but recognize that our spiritual preparation will contribute to those achievements and give us peace throughout life and the eternities. And as we do these things, we shall be lifted up at the last days. In conclusion, as I look at you outstanding young men and women here at Brigham Young University today, the future seems very positive and bright for young people who love the Lord. You radiate a wonderful spirit which I feel from you today. Yes, I believe that Latter-day Saints everywhere can reap the blessings of being well prepared. I bear my witness and testimony to each of you who are here in this assemblage today that the Church to which you and I belong is the true and living Church upon the face of the earth, even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Sister Banks and I recently had the occasion to spend a couple of hours alone, walking hand-in-hand through the sacred grove. I testify to you that the Prophet Joseph saw what he said he saw as the Father and the Son appeared to him in that sacred ground of the holy sacred grove. And with those seven words as the Father addressed his Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, This is my beloved Son, hear him. That the gospel was reintroduced to the earth through the prophet Joseph, never to be taken from the earth again in its fullness. 
I testify that the Prophet Joseph was the prophet of this dispensation. And the day you and I have the opportunity of sitting and listening to a living prophet today, even President Gordon B. Hinckley, who holds all the keys of the kingdom, and promise that if we will listen to his counsel, he will help us to prepare one day to be worthy to return to the presence of the Father and the Son. I testify that God lives and Jesus is the Christ. I try to comprehend the great love that our Father in heaven must have had for us, that he allowed his only begotten Son in the flesh and the firstborn of the Spirit to come to this earth and be offered as a sacrifice for you and for me and all mankind. I try to comprehend the great love that our Lord and Savior, even Jesus Christ, has for us, that he would be willing to take upon himself the sins of all mankind and suffer the persecutions, the torment, and the ridicule that no mortal man could endure because of his great love for us as our Savior and Redeemer as he fulfilled the atonement and the resurrection that makes it possible for all of us to live again. May we so prepare our lives, my young friends, that one day we will have that glorious opportunity of sitting in the presence of the Father and his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, of which I testify and pray his blessings upon you. In his holy name, even Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is personal preparation. We've just heard from Ben B. Banks. After the break, we'll return with Robert R. Stoyer for Just In Case Someone Asks, I Will Be Ready. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is personal preparation. Next is Robert R. Stoyer, member of the Second Quorum of the Seventy of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the time of this address, titled, Just In Case Someone Asks, I Will Be Ready. I've titled my message today, Just In Case Someone Asks, I Will Be Ready. As a teenager, I found a simple thought that had guided Abraham Lincoln's life. President Lincoln was asked how he was able to become the President of the United States. His self-effacing answer was, I kept preparing myself just in case. This down-to-earth phrase inspired me, and I began looking for ways that could prepare me to be ready for the future as well. As an example, as a young missionary in Brazil, I decided to learn and speak Portuguese 100%. Returning home from my mission, I didn't think I'd be using Portuguese again. But two years later, I took the medical school entrance exam, and lo and behold, my Portuguese was extremely helpful and useful for me. Because Portuguese is a strongly influenced Latin-based language, as are many medical terms. Twenty years later, my family and I returned to São Paulo, Brazil, as mission president, and 35 years after that original decision, my wife and I returned to serve in the area presidency in the north of Brazil. 
Even today, the joy of speaking another language without having to interpret in your mind, word for word, is such a mystery and a blessing. Another example. I, like many other church members listening to Elder Neil A. Maxwell's talks, noted that he would regularly cite from Bartlett's familiar quotations. So I started to read Bartlett's familiar quotations to be prepared just in case someone asked me to give a talk in church. Thomas Edison said, Opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. Likewise, Disraeli said, One secret of success is for a man to be ready for his opportunity when it comes. When President Henry B. Eyring was first called to the First Presidency, he referred to important counsel his father had given him. That counsel was, Hal, always have something in your mind at all times to think about when you don't need to be thinking about it. For me, that meant we will be prepared for inspiration on a specific topic if we have been seriously contemplating it. Some, on the other hand, may conclude that it's too hard to always be preparing or to do such focused thinking. But doing hard things builds confidence and strengthens character. We learn much from those who lean hard against us. To prepare just in case someone asks becomes even more important as the world becomes more complex. One approach in preparing ourselves is to simplify and find the kernel truths and thoughts. A kernel operator in mathematics transforms the original unwieldy, perhaps confusing problem into an easier solution. In computer technology, the kernel is the central component of the computer operating system. It's the core or nucleus that makes things work. In medicine, the same key concept is incorporated in the word pathognomonic. A pathognomonic sign is a particular sign whose presence means that, beyond any doubt, a particular disease is present. For example, if so-called coplic spots are present in the mouth, a doctor's diagnosis of measles is certain. This is also similar to the well-known mathematical statement of proof. If and only if the necessary and sufficient condition A is met, then condition B is true. To prepare and simplify our lives is like finding those kernel operators, the necessary and sufficient conditions, or discovering the pathognomonic signs so we can have confidence in our actions and do the right things for the right reasons. We know the scriptures are very clear about certain laws, bounds, and conditions as well. And unto every kingdom is given a law. And unto every law there are certain bounds also and conditions. And 
There is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of this world upon which all blessings are predicated. Embracing key scriptures and doctrines can help us simplify and prepare for life's important decisions. The words God uses in the scriptures and the words of the living prophets will help us find our way, especially today. One such kernel scripture comes from the words of the prophet Micah and gives great strength and clarity of direction. In Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, we read, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? The Lord tells us what is good and what pleases Him. Certainly a core message here teaches us to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Note that the Lord only gives us three things to remember. This kernel, therefore, simplifies our direction and gives great clarity to our actions. First, we notice that the Lord requires us to do justly. The Old Testament Hebrew word for just means to do right or to do righteousness or to have a just weight or balance when measuring something. In today's vernacular, to do justly may also mean to be fair in our treatment with one another. In Portuguese, for example, the words just and fair are the same word, justo, doing that which is right in the sight of the Lord helps us become a just person. A just man's character, how he thinks, and how he desires to learn all he can is described in Proverbs chapter 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. We recall Elder David A. Bednar's recent comment here at BYU. Learning to love learning is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hence, the things we put into our souls mold our unique character and individual identity. For all our efforts in learning the truth and doing that which is right in the sight of the Lord, the Lord promises this wonderful blessing. And if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through his diligence and obedience than another, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. The end result and blessing of being just are worth every effort. As we read in the 76th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, the just shall have part in the first resurrection. 
and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, are given all things and have received of his fullness and of his glory, are God's, even the sons of God, and shall dwell in the presence of God and his Christ forever and ever. Second, as we saw in Micah chapter 6, the Lord requires us to love mercy. Mercy from the Old Testament Hebrew word has the connotation of gentleness, kindliness, grace, forgiveness, and compassion upon anyone. These are attributes of God. Certainly we desire God's mercy towards us and are happy like Enoch to know that mercy shall go before thy face and have no end. But the Lord also gives us the commandment, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Daily life seems to teach us that the foundation and enabling power for doing justly comes from a heart full of compassion. We notice that the Savior's instruction to the Nephites, What manner of men ought ye to be, even as I am, came after the Lord taught the principles of compassion, grace, and mercy. The Lord encourages us to rely on His grace, saying, My grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. Now notice the necessary and sufficient condition He gives us. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. Third, again Micah tells us that the Lord requires us to walk humbly with God. The Old Testament Hebrew word humble connotes to bow down, bow our heads, or be low in situation. We recall Enoch feeling overwhelmed with the Lord's command to call his people to repentance. He prostrated himself before the Lord. And when Enoch had heard these words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. Then he was ready for the Lord's instructions. It seems very significant that when we bow our heads in prayer, we also get ourselves ready for the Lord's instruction to our heart and our mind. There are many things that cause us to bow our head, humbling us every day. At times, we may actually control situations. For example, an engineer controls the construction of a bridge or building, or a doctor controls a surgical procedure, and both see positive outcomes. They may conclude that their skill guaranteed the outcome. But other times, we experience circumstances in our lives seemingly beyond our control, such as getting a bad case of the flu on the day of our biggest final exam. Happens to you quite a lot. Or our car breaking down on the way to an important interview. The unexpected occurs seemingly at the worst possible time. Many in the world conclude that because of this apparent randomness, no one is in control and no one can know the future. 
But the scriptures and the prophets affirm that God is not only master of the universe, but is in the details and knows the end from the beginning. He knoweth all things, for all things are present before mine eyes, he said. It has been said, the great act of faith is when man decides that he is not God. When we so decide and accept the limits of our external control, we are powerfully sustained by faith in God. We trust His timing and have confidence in His plan. Elder Neil A. Maxwell observed, Because we are eternal beings, time is not our natural dimension. And life is so designed that we constantly feel time and its prickly presence. We feel this prickly presence when unexpected, undesired circumstances irritate us. Yet it is those events that mold our character. Perhaps the difficult situations in our lives teach us what it is that we may truly control ourselves our thoughts, our words, our deeds, and our reaction to life's unexpected events. President James E. Faust reminded us, It's not so much what happens to us, but how we deal with what happens to us. Recognizing our personal responsibility and exercising self-control make repentance possible and strengthens character. Each day tests how we will react to unexpected circumstances, for the same set of circumstances can bring either resentment or gratitude. Another test may be how we react when those who don't live God's commandments seem to get ahead in the world, while we, trying very hard to serve the Lord, don't seem to have much outward success. But in 3 Nephi chapter 24, the Lord reorients us, saying, Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, What have we spoken against thee? Ye have said, It is vain to serve God. What doth it profit that we have kept his ordinances, and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy, yea, they that work wickedness, are set up. They that tempt God are even delivered. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Hence, even though we may set goals, establish procedures, make plans, and act nobly, we may not control the immediate results. We must continue, however, to seek the good, establish the right, and walk humbly in the full faith that God guarantees the just and merciful outcome. The courage to vigorously move ahead thusly was echoed by Longfellow. 
The heights by great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were toiling upward in the night. Or as stated simply by President Harold B. Lee, it is the pursuit of easy things that make men weak. The pursuit of hard things makes men strong. A key scripture from the Book of Mormon can help in our personal preparation in Alma chapter 3. For every man receiveth wages of him whom he listeth to obey. This scripture is pointing to the fact that the master to whom we incline will be the one who will reward us, either to the Savior who will grant us eternal life, or if we lean towards Satan, we will receive spiritual death. We recognize the verb list is to tilt, incline, or move off-center just a little. It's like when we slightly move off-center in a canoe. The canoe quickly lists and finally tips us overboard. Listing may also connote leaning first to one side, then leaning to the other side. And we know the result of wafting back and forth in a canoe. Overboard we go again. The Apostle James wisely taught, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Similarly, the Lord said to John the Revelator, through John the Revelator, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Listing may also suggest being carried away on the subtle, ever-learning breeze. The Apostle Paul described our day as follows. In the last days men shall be lovers of their own selves, ever-learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Ever-learning may be interesting, but we cannot sample from every intriguing corner of life, despite the Internet. We are reminded it is not a matter of if we will accept divine truth. It is a matter of when. We are told in Philippians that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. At times we can't discern whether we are tilting or not. Hence, we need guides, especially the Holy Ghost, to point out the slight adjustments to our lives as we begin to tip or list. Thusly, we do not waste time and can more safely reach our ultimate goal. The Book of Mormon prophet Jacob counseled us, You that are pure in heart, look unto God with firmness of mind, and pray unto Him with exceeding faith, and receive the pleasing word of God, and feast upon His love, for ye may, if your minds are firm, forever. Mahatma Gandhi gave some salient guide points as well. He said, Sin is wealth without work, pleasure without conscience, knowledge without character, commerce without morality, science without humanity, religion without sacrifice, politics without principle. 
Indeed, we too can learn much by observation, and we can learn even more by allowing our guides to give us suggestions. President James E. Faust said, Learning by experience has value, but the school of hard knocks is deserving of its name. Progression comes faster and easier by learning from our parents, those who love us, and our teachers. We can also learn from the mistakes of others, observing the consequences of their wrong choices. So we simply need to catch ourselves before we tilt too far. Those studying electrical engineering know that feedback loops prevent circuits from becoming unstable. Even experienced pilots will encounter sensory illusions or worse if they make a slow banking turn without visual references. The hair cells of the human vestibular apparatus can't discern the correct bearing and the pilot quickly loses reality. Like those visual references maintaining stability, our guides can become a lamp unto our feet, helping us see the important signposts before we list too far. We can then make the slight adjustments to any listing. Although humbling, we will receive yet another promise. Because thou hast seen thy weakness, thou shalt be made strong. How encouraging. The Lord wants us to see our own weaknesses, and then His grace is sufficient for us all as we come to Him. When we understand and accept true principles, our decisions do become clearer and less confusing. Thus, acceptance of the truths can make us free, free from ambivalence, ambiguity, tentativeness, excuse-making, and ignorance. Accepting truths requires obeying the feelings of the Spirit, self-discipline, and then courage to live that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Describing this type of courage, Elder Neil A. Maxwell said, It will take the same kind of courage that the Spartans showed when they tenaciously held a small mountain pass against overwhelming numbers of Persians. The Spartans were told that if they did not give up, the Persians would darken the skies with their arrows of their numerous archers. The Spartans answered, So much the better. We will fight in the shade. With this type of courage, we can accept a true principle as it really is, without debate, sidestepping, or hesitancy. Thus, by following the impressions of the Holy Ghost, we will find solutions and wisely use our precious gift of time. The power in truth gives complete commitment to our lives, clarity to our decisions, and certainty that our course in life is according to God's will and our divine character emerges. As the restored truths sink into our soul, we become more keenly aware that only the power of the redemption and the resurrection of Jesus Christ can and does preserve our individual identity. It is this power that requires that the grave must 
deliver up the spirits and must deliver up the body. And all men become incorruptible and immortal living souls. In fact, these restored truths and doctrinal declarations create an intensification of our individual divine identity and a greater awareness and gratitude for the power of the redemption of the Son of God. President James E. Faust said, Without turning back to the word of our Creator, no one is wise enough to sort out what ethical, spiritual, and moral value should be taught to the next generation. May we search for, find, and embrace the kernel truths to simplify our lives so that our decisions can be yea, yea, or nay, nay. We want to be ready when the Lord asks, for he will ask. He said to John the Revelator, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. The Lord is so gracious, he further prepares us for that day when he said, I give unto you these sayings that you may understand and know how to worship and know what you worship that you may come unto the Father in my name and in due time receive of his fullness. May we also move from grace to grace as did the Lord and in due time receive of the fullness of the Father is my prayer for all. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was personal preparation with thoughts from Ben B. Banks and Robert R. Stoyer. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.